equipping today's college students to make their four years count for eternity. This is the Campus Outreach Podcast. I'm Micah. This is my wife, Brianna, and this is Andrew, uh, soon to be two years old. And um, I didn't really know Bree until about the third or fourth time that I met her. So I was at New Year's Conference, what they just talked about, uh, when I really met Brianna and uh, found out a little bit about who she was. And I was interested. So I did what any sensible 26-year-old suave dude would do in that moment, uh, have a conversation in the lobby, go back to the room, Facebook friend request. Okay? Solid move. I mean, it's, it is um, solid move. It's really not a move that I look back on with great pride. But if you look in our little Facebook history, uh, according to Facebook, December 27th, 2016, we became friends. But everybody had that moment when I said, I did what any guy would do, and I clicked friend request, and you all went, uh, right? So you know uh, what I know in that that's really not the greatest move because Facebook is superficial, right? It, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. It's empty. It's, it's not genuinely significant in and of itself. And tonight what we're talking about in our series is we're asking these questions about what does it mean to be a Christian? And tonight we're talking about can I be a Christian because I like Jesus? And uh, tonight we come to this famous passage in John chapter 6 where there's a crowd of people, a huge crowd of people that are following Jesus. They're interested in Jesus. They like Jesus. Um, but it's superficial. It's not genuinely significant. So if you want to open up to John chapter 6, and before we, before we read, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of context. John chapter 6, we could literally take the entire semester, spend all our time in John chapter 6. There's that much there. So we're going to hit a couple of key highlights. But at the very beginning of John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Okay? Uh, and the 5,000, shortly thereafter, it says, the next day. Verse 22 says, the next day. So after Jesus feeds this crowd of 5,000 people, the next day, we're jumping into what happens. And basically what's going on is, Jesus has kind of disappeared, and the crowd is chasing after him. You've got 5,000 people chasing after Jesus. Okay? Pretty significant. I don't know how many we got in here. I don't do numbers that great, but it ain't 5,000, right? 5,000 people are chasing after Jesus, but they're chasing after Jesus for the wrong reason. So we'll jump in. We're just going to hit some highlights. So if you want to jump with me to verse 25, we'll start there with the hunger of the crowds. So when they found him, that is the crowd, the 5,000 people, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Okay, so the crowd, 5,000 people. And why are they chasing Jesus? And Jesus says it in verse 26. He says, you... You are seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. Um, Do you see what Jesus points out to them here? He exposes for them, the crowds, what they're really after. 
what they really want, what they really long for. And he shines the flashlight on their heart that, that shines on the motivations of their heart. And when he does, he reveals that the crowd doesn't really want Jesus. What they want is the meal plan. They want the calf swipe. Okay? And so they want the fill of the loaves. They want more food. Now in our culture, thankfully, I'm very glad for this, food is readily available. Okay? Um, You can go, I mean, I can go right now to Panera Bread and for like $9 and some change, I can buy like 10,000 calories worth of bagels. Right? Uh, At any point in time. Uh, You can choose... Anytime you want to go to Einstein's and order yourself a bunch of bagels. I don't know why you would want a burned bagel, but that choice is on you. You can make that choice if you so like it. This is a big Einstein's crowd, apparently. Uh, Anytime you want, you can go to Einstein's, except for after two on Fridays. That's right. For us, food is super accessible. But for the ancient world, it wasn't readily accessible. And food was the sense of security. And so this crowd is following after Jesus because he's way cheaper than Publix. And and he's he's a locked-in guarantee, man. This guy can feed the crowds, okay? And so what Jesus, when he says, you're after me because you got your fill of the loaves, he's pressing on what they really wanted. They had a hunger, but it was a misdirected hunger. And don't miss this. Jesus shines this flashlight on their hearts and says, what do you really want? And the whole dialogue that follows is Jesus' famous, I am the bread of life statement. And all of that statement, everything that follows, is all about what will satisfy for eternity. And what Jesus challenges them in verse 27 is, is you're looking with the wrong hunger in the wrong place. There's nothing wrong with needing food. All of us need food. But that's the point that Jesus is really trying to even make about the food. We all need food, but the hunger of the soul is more significant than the hunger of the stomach. So every day, you and I have a physical hunger, but it's even more significant. The stomach growls at 11 a.m. at that class that lasts two hours long. It feels like an eternity. Even deeper is the hunger of the soul. When Bri and I went on our first date, we went to this place in Carrollton, Georgia, not Jordan, Georgia, called uh, Little Hawaiian. And uh, when I took her on this date, uh, it was recommended to me because she was, at the time, a pescatarian, which uh, does not mean that you're like pesky, like a fly. It means that you don't eat certain things. Like you mainly, I think, eat fish and some other stuff, right? Uh, But not everything else. So uh, Little Hawaiian was like the best place to take a pescatarian at the time. And so uh, we go to eat at Little Hawaiian, and I don't remember what I ate. I don't remember uh, that I ate. Uh, and I remember uh, I would have I much rather preferred the burger joint next door, if I'm totally honest. Uh, but here's the thing. My uh, desire for real food in that moment was trumped by a desire to get to know her in that moment. Does that make sense? I had a desire for real food. The burger definitely would have been better than whatever the pescatarian flavor of the day was. But the desire to get to know her was way more significant than the desire to eat what I wanted. Does that make sense? And Jesus challenges the crowd. It's after free food. and says, what do, you, what do you most want? And tonight we're talking about this idea of like, can I be a Christian because I like Jesus? 
Tonight is sort of about like versus love. And the story of John 6 is that the crowds like Jesus, but they don't really get it. It isn't Jesus they really want. And so here's the question that John 6, from the very beginning, presses on each one of us. What are the hungers of your soul? What are the hungers of your soul? And I'm not looking for a show of hands on this one. We won't volunteer and call out on people at this point in the talk. But what are the deep longings that you got? What is the thing, you might say it this way, what is the thing that if you had that thing, you feel like you could rest? Approval. Think about the Samford image. To be the kind of Samford person that people respect, people think well of. Maybe that's, maybe that's one of them. Or maybe it's like a, a certain friend group. If I could just get in with those people, then I would really feel like I would belong. Or maybe it's, maybe it's dating. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's that feeling of being wanted. A, a dating relationship. Maybe it's success. Maybe you're one of the uh, Brock scholars. It's this feeling of having accomplished that you're really after. Or maybe it's, it's status. Maybe it's this desire to matter. I don't know what it is for you, but the first thing I think John 6 would challenge us with is what are the hungers of your soul? The second thing I think it would challenge us with is where are you seeking to find the desires of your soul met? Where are you trying to find satisfaction for those deep desires of your soul? And the Bible makes really clear that the, the deep hungers of the soul are hardwired in us by God. So the thing of belonging and being wanted and feeling accomplished and matter, mattering, all those things are hardwired into us by God. But they were meant not to be the satisfaction of our souls, but to be the signposts in our souls. They're to point us to a deeper reality. You might say it this way. They are great gifts, but they are terrible gods. And just like the crowds, we can, we can chase down satisfaction in something that is never going to deliver on the promise. Just like a great meal, you think about this metaphor, just like a great meal, the finest meal, think of the finest meal you've ever had, and the next day you still get hungry again. Maybe the best meal you've ever had, but the feeling will dissipate. It will be gone. C.S. Lewis said this really well, and I think we got it on the screen. Hopefully you can read this. He says, most people, if they really had learned uh, to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely, want very strongly something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis continues this. He says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to stir it up, to suggest the real thing. And if that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something of which they're kind of a copy or an echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others do the same. Do you hear what C.S. Lewis is saying there? He, he's saying, 
if I find in myself these desires that I can't fully satisfy, it must mean it was made for another world. And then he talks about the good gifts as essentially being signposts that point us to another country. Same place your hope there. Johnny Manziel, some of you have maybe watched the documentary. I think I got this on the screen. Johnny Manziel was uh, a pretty big deal in the football world. And so um, he kind of lit up college football and, and caught it on fire. You can ask Big Dave, who I have much better answers about how all he did that than I would. But the bottom line was Johnny Manziel was at the top of his game. He was nicknamed Johnny Football, and he was the life of the party. He had the fame, the popularity, this iconic persona of being Johnny Football. He had the girls. He had Vegas. He had the NFL. He had the signing bonus. And here's what he says in the documentary. He says, when I got everything I wanted, I think it was the most empty that I ever felt inside. How does a person who's climbed the ladder to the very top get there and say, it doesn't fulfill me? And we could go on, actually. You think about um, Rain Wilson. I think I've got him on the screen as well. Really interesting. Maybe you've seen this. Um, Actually, I don't have the quote. So when he says... When I was on the office, I spent several years mostly unhappy because it wasn't enough. We could go on. There's more. Tom Brady and and others saying, when I got to the top and I I finally achieved that which I most deeply longed for, I found that it it wasn't the satisfaction of my soul. They don't say it quite that way, but they say it was empty. Here's what David Platt says. We were not made for something. We were made for someone. And so if you're here tonight and you're, you're not yet a Christian or you're wrestling with exactly where you are in your relationship with God, I'm really glad you're here. And what John 6 is communicating to us is that every other source of life in this world will come up empty in the end. Like Johnny Manziel's story highlights for us that booze and football and popularity and image and the persona and status and approval, it will never deliver on the promise. It may for a moment. That's why it's so appealing. But that moment will pass. And as we'll talk about next week, sin always has a bitter aftertaste. And if that describes you, then Jesus in John 6 is inviting you to find the true bread of life. And here's the next thing I'll say. If you're a Christian in this room, here's the question I would say John 6 is pressing on you. Where do you functionally seek to find life? What are you hoping that if you get, it will give you joy and satisfaction, rest and peace? Is it approval? Is it the Samford image? Is it the friend group, that idea of belonging? Is it dating? Is it feeling wanted? Is it success, feeling accomplished, status, feeling like you matter? And Jesus challenges each one of us in this room, regardless of where you are spiritually with, where are you trying to satisfy the deepest um, desires of your soul, the deepest hunger that you have. So we'll pick up in verse 35, looking at the promise of Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now this is one of Jesus's biggest claims of his entire ministry, one of my favorite statements of his. And it's the first of these I am statements that will come all throughout the rest of John's gospel. 
So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the true vine. So he has a number of these different I am statements. And each one of those I am statements is supposed to teach us. They're all metaphors. They're all metaphors that are meant to communicate something about who he is and what he's done and what he will do and why it matters for us. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, um, bread in our context means, means carbs. But bread, like we said, in the first century means sustenance. What sustains you? You think about how many times bread shows up in the Bible. You think about Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. bread. There we go. Uh, feeding of the 5,000 was bread. Um, Jesus told Satan when he was hungry and tempted in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone. Bread alone. Right. It's fascinating when you study it, and I'm not going to nerd out on us, but bread is all over the place in the Old Testament and the New, and that the reason for that is because it is the primary way that people make it through day to day to day to day to day. Does that make sense? So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, very significant statement. It was estimated that a small family would eat three loaves of bread a day. In the Evans house, if we make it through one loaf of bread in the week and we finish the thing, I'm like, we didn't waste money on bread this week, you know? It's a pretty big deal for us to go through one loaf of bread in a week, trying to be low carb, you know? Um, So they would eat three loaves of bread a day. It was key in the first century. And so the point is, if you don't have bread, you don't make it. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. The point is, he's the central source of nourishment. He's the, I'm the nourishment of eternal life, Jesus is saying. I'm the nourishment that you need more than you need your daily food. You need me. And you think about this with Jesus. If he's not who he says he is, this is the height of arrogance. This is the absolute height of arrogance. This is the, he, the he's making a wild claim here. He's saying that, that he is to the human soul of all people of all time, the nourishment that they cannot live without. And not only that, he says that if you come to me, you shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. He's saying the deepest longings of your soul, if you come to me, they get fulfilled. And this is, this is critical stuff for us to understand if we're to live the Christian life with joy. And here's why. I think for many of us, it's not hard for us to embrace the idea that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that that pays for us to go to heaven one day and there's a time and place when that will really apply to us and really matter and it's great. But I think for many of us, we're likely to fall into this pitfall where we think that Jesus died for us, that's good, and that has a lot of significance there, but it doesn't really have significance in the here and now. What Jesus is claiming here is certainly an eternal claim to be the bread of life that sustains us for eternity. But he's also claiming something about here and now. Something about here and now satisfaction. He says, you come to me and you get the experience that you were made for. You, get, you were designed for this. So he didn't pay just to make us right and pay for our, our sins, but he died so that we might have life and life in the here and now. He's the bread of life. So the, the appeal that Jesus makes to us in John 6 is where are you trying to find satisfaction right now? And in my own life, I don't know exactly where I came to Christ in my life. But if I had to take my best guess, I would say I probably came to Christ my freshman year of college at Penn State uh, through uh, reading the Gospel of John with a friend named Dave. 
And we'd study the Gospel of John week after week uh, if we made it that far. And we got to John chapter 6. And I am 99.99% sure that by the time we got to John chapter 6, I had already come to Christ. But John chapter 6 hit different. This verse specifically hit different. Because this one drove home a specific point. And it said, Micah, if you really believe that I am who I say I am, then that means I'm not just asking for some, some hours on your Sunday. And I'm not asking for you to kind of cut and paste some different vocabulary words, get the cuss words out and get better words in. He's saying, I'm asking for your longings. I'm asking for your satisfactions. I'm asking for the, your dating relationships. I'm asking for your longing to fit in. I'm asking for the deep down stuff of the heart. I'm asking for that too. So to trust in Jesus, you might say, is to trust his ways. And Jesus being the bread of life means that he is the one that can satisfy the deep down stuff of the heart. So to apply this for us, are you willing to, uh, to trust Jesus with the deepest stuff, the deep down stuff of the heart, the core longings that you deeply, most deeply desire to see fulfilled? Uh, up on the screen, I got a guy named Charles Blondin, okay? I'm sure no one knows who Charles Blondin is, but on June 30th, 1859, Blondin became the first man in history to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls from the U.S. into Canada. And this was back before we had television sets. We didn't have podcasts. We didn't have, well, we maybe had sports games. You can ask Dave about that one too. But tens, 100,000 people are estimated to have shown up to watch Charles Blondin go across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And this guy, this guy was ridiculous. I have a hard time believing this is real, but it's history. You can go check me on this, fact check me, it would be kind of fun. He walked across Niagara Falls on stilts, on a bicycle. He went across blindfolded. One time he took a little hot plate and he went out there, cracked a couple eggs, cooked an omelet for himself, ate the omelet, then went the rest of the way across Niagara Falls. I don't know how that's possible. There were no cameras, but no joke. 100,000 people, so go fact check me. And at one point, he gets to, uh, he comes back across, and he did this a bunch of times, and he got a wheelbarrow and said, uh, does anybody think that I can go across Niagara Falls in this wheelbarrow, with this wheelbarrow? And one guy in the crowd yells out, absolutely. And he says, all right, come on down. And the guy says, absolutely not, right? Uh, which is probably wise, probably smart. The guy said, absolutely, I believe you can do it, but don't count on it with me. And here's where I'm, I'm, I would press each one of us. I think we can be like the guy in the crowd with Charles Blondin. It says, absolutely, you can satisfy. I'm not sure about me. In other words, to trust Jesus means to trust him with the deep down stuff of the heart the deepest longings that you got. That's what it means for him to be the bread of life. And that's good news, not just for heaven, not just for a later date. That's good news for the right here and the right now and the struggles and the issues and the hardships and the deep longings of the heart that you got going on right now. Next, the response of the disciples. Um, we'll jump down to verse 66. Okay. 
verse 66. So like I said, we're just hitting some of the highlights. So what happens the rest of the chapter, which I don't have time to fully unpack, but basically you get Jesus who unpacks what it means to be the bread of life a little bit, and he gets into this uh, discussion with the crowd, and he talks about, uh, he makes some really hard statements. He, he makes some statements that are hard to understand, and they're uncomfortable, and the crowd's like, we're, well, I don't, we're, not, we're not following you anymore. Okay? And the rest of the crowd says, we're walking away. So 5,000 people, they're interested in a free meal, no longer interested in the Chick-fil-A coupons, they're out. Okay, so everybody's gone. And Jesus looks at the disciples. And let's look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples, this, this crowd of people, turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. A few years ago, the trend started that, um, I, I might be butchering this, when you know, you know, right? Um, could somebody that is bold enough to explain, and hopefully I'm not like 10 years behind in my illustration, when you know, you know, what does that mean, culturally speaking? Uh-oh. Sometimes it relates to like significant other, like marriage. Just like, okay. When you know, you know. Okay. It's good. Um, what does when you know you know mean? All right, well, I'll try my best. Um, I, I was hoping somebody would do the legwork for me on this one. So uh, the idea of when you know you know is like uh, here's this issue, and it's kind of a, a big thing on TikTok uh, right now. Like for, for if you're a mom, which I am not, but Bree is, um, there are certain things that it's like if you're a mom, you just know when you see this site, you know exactly what happened, right? When you know you know. When you see it, you get it, Right? You understand, you can't unsee it. That's kind of the idea. When you know, you know. You can't unsee it. That's, that's the idea. And John 6, 66 takes place after everybody's gone home, everybody's left. Jesus has said too much weird stuff and they're out. And the people take offense at Jesus' claims. They don't want any more. There's no more chasing. And he says to the disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter responds, but Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So Jesus makes these colossal claims about himself, and the crowds don't get it. They don't receive Jesus as the true, the one who is true and trustworthy. Instead, they look at Jesus, and he's intriguing. He's a little bizarre. And then finally, after he gets a little bit uncomfortable, they say, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. But Peter's response represents how the genuine faith responds to Jesus. When you see it, you can't unsee it. When you know, you know. And so he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? He's saying there's nowhere else for us to go. We believe that you have the words of eternal life. And so they're convinced of Jesus' divine authority. You might say it this way. They're convinced about Christ, and they're compelled by Christ. They're convinced about Christ, and they're compelled by Christ. They're convinced. He says, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They are convinced. Meaning they have intellectually come to believe this. They've rested upon this truth. It's settled in their minds. We believe you. They're convinced. But they're not just convinced in their minds. They're compelled in their hearts. They're compelled. They said they cannot help but stay with him. They're they're compelled. They've encountered the bread of life and it's the reason why they, they can't go anywhere else. 
That's why Peter can't leave. He's compelled and convinced. And this is the response of faith. Compelled and convinced. When you know, you know. You can't unsee it when you see it. And so here's my question for each of us. Does Jesus compel you in this way? Does he intrigue you like this? Are you drawn to him in a way that says, I I cannot go anywhere else? And then if he doesn't or hasn't yet, or if you've grown numb or grown cold, what do you do? You look back to what Jesus did in the gospel. We look back and remember that we actually were not unlike the crowds. We're actually very similar to the crowds. In fact, we were worse than the crowds. We searched for satisfaction in all the wrong places. In our sin, we chased counterfeits. And despite our sin and rebellion against him, he came to us. He was crushed at the cross for our sins. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that we might drink the cup of life. So we look back at the cross and we re-embrace what Jesus did for us by faith all over again. Whether it's the first time or the 10,000th time, we re-embrace, we repent of chasing after the counterfeits. And we say, you have the words of eternal life. Have mercy draw me back in. And so as we do, when we re-embrace by repentance, by faith, Jesus in the gospel, we are reconvinced and recompelled once again as one of his disciples, as a follower of Christ. A few years after the, um, the awkward Facebook friend request, uh, things got real. And they got real when I got down on a knee. And when I asked Bree to marry me, uh, it was really all I could do to hold back all of my affection. It was out of the overflow of all of my love for her. You could say that I was compelled and I was convinced. I was convinced you're the one I got to get on the knee for. And I was compelled, like, I got to do it. And I'm not waiting until next September. We're doing this as soon as possible. It was near impossible to hold it back. And in a similar way, but in a much more significant way, when the good news of the gospel hits you, it pierces your heart, and you see Jesus as the bread of life, and you receive him as the bread of life, you can't unsee it. You can't go back. When you know, you know, because you're compelled and you're convinced. You cannot go anywhere else because you know that Jesus has the words of life. So I would just press on each one of us. is, does this, is this how you've responded to Jesus? And, if, and, and, and to what extent have you chased the counterfeit, how you run back to Jesus in the gospel and say, Lord, restore me, bring me back in, cleanse me by your grace, draw me close to you. Once again, you have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, To whom shall we go? But you and you alone have the words of eternal life. We, Lord, we need your grace and your mercy. So I pray for each one of us, would you identify for us afresh the the counterfeits that we chase, the places that we seek to find life? And then, Lord, would you draw us back in to to the feast? Or would we see Jesus as the bread of life and would 
his life transform us and change us in the deep parts of our heart, the deepest longings of our heart. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.